This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. Why do the nations rage, the psalmist asks. Why do the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? Well, the nations are determining destiny, friends. Even now, the drum roll, you can hear it, announcing the opening of the final curtain on the divine drama of human history, is fading, revealing a spectacular conflict soon to take center stage. Today, with the attack uh, by Hamas and possibly soon by Hezbollah, is mere are there mere skirmishes, my friend, on the near edge of what the Bible portrays is going to take place? The, nation, the nations are raging. The geopolitical lines and historical alliances that were once deemed destined to endure the ravages of time have shifted dramatically in just a single decade, and arch enemies that have baffled the world are becoming end-time friends, Friends have become implacable foes. Betrayal has bereaved the world of ancient trusts, leaving leaders bewildered at the shocking events unfolding rapidly before their terrified eyes, including today as the reports are coming in that Netanyahu's, well, his favor among the Israeli people has dropped precipitously, feeling that they have betrayed him. In fact, reports are that even Donald Trump has come out behind the scenes, and said that uh, Netanyahu should be impeached. Well, I don't know that I would certainly say something like that, but indeed, things are in a massive chaos around the world. Indeed, the nations, just as the psalmist said in Psalm 2, are being stirred in unprecedented rage. But for you, the student of the Bible... Those circumstances were long expected and clearly foretold 3,000 years ago. They were foretold for the very Mount of God, Mount Zion. And so it behooves us then to take a journey back to that ancient land and for many long forgotten, a long forgotten time. And we're going to do that via my longtime friend, David Decker, who is coming to us live from Jerusalem at this very moment. David, it's good to have you on the program. Shalom, uh, Shalom, Pastor Chuck. It's wonderful to be with you again. Thank you. Well, you use the word shalom, which basically means peace and prosperity, uh, goodwill coming from Israel. Do we have uh, peace and prosperity coming? <laughs> um, uh, well, very sad. Or is that spoken you know. in faith only? <laughs> yes, you are speaking in faith. To tell you the truth, uh, uh, just days before the terrible war that broke out exactly a week ago, uh, at 6.30 in the morning, uh, Saturday, Israel time, will be one week that will be uh, here in, in the coming hour, about six hours. Uh, just days before that, people were speaking peace and safety, and the Bible says when they, they will say peace, peace, and sudden destruction will come, and that's just what happened. Well, indeed, and uh, this is happening at the time when the, uh, the uh, Biden administration uh, was telling the world that uh, we were about to enter into a historical, perhaps unnatural, but historical uh, peace kind of agreement uh, with Israel and with the United States. Uh, Who would have ever thunk such a thing could take place because Saudi Arabia is the very font of uh, uh, Wahhabism, which is the most virulent form or one of the most virulent forms of Islam. 
So I'm wondering yeah. whether uh, uh, it seems that perhaps that might have been a triggering factor because Iran that supports Hezbollah and Hamas uh, despises Saudi Arabia. Is this about to try to interrupt that uh, peace? Absolutely. I, I believe that's right. That's the consensus feeling here in Israel that um, Hezbollah and Iran um, collaborated together to, to cause this to happen. One of the main reasons being to derail the peace talks between Israel and uh, Saudi Arabia, which they have done. They're all totally off the table for now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's no love lost at all between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Each one of them uh, has vowed to pursue nuclear power. Uh, Saudi Arabia does not currently have it, but they've said if uh, if Iran gains nuclear armaments, then Saudi Arabia will pursue the same, and the entire Middle East will explode into a nuclear cauldron. So that's kind of where we sit right now. Uh, give us your initial take uh, there, starting from... The moment of the first attacks, you're in Jerusalem, right? Yes. Okay, so you're in Jerusalem. The attacks begin to come. Give us your initial uh, response. Well, uh, well, Pastor Chuck, on at 6.30 in the morning on October 7th, that was, um, that was Israel's Pearl Harbor. We were attacked by an uh, evil, wicked terrorist organization called Hamas. And October 7th now will go down in history all over the world as a day of infamy, another day of infamy, certainly for Israel, a day of infamy. And, um, as, and it really, it is Israel's Pearl Harbor. It's worse than the Yom Kippur War. It's worse than nine, it's worse than a 9-11 for us. It's worse than the War of Independence. The first two days of the, of the battles against Israel, for the first 48 hours, 900, uh, precious Jewish people lost their lives in Israel, which is the greatest loss of Jewish life in a two-day period since the Holocaust. So, wow. this, these are, this is the darkest time since 19, for, for Jews all over the world since 1945, 78 years ago. Wow. You know, I would have thought that, uh, the Yom Kippur War in 1973, uh, where Israel's very existence was on the line, uh, there was no preparation. This was Israel's highest holy day. Uh, everybody right. was, uh, it was a uh, national Shabbat. And uh, so everybody's resting. And then all of a sudden, three or four nations joined together uh, to exterminate and push Israel into the sea. Uh, it was as if it was no holds barred. This was the final effort to uh, completely eradicate and destroy the existence of Israel. How is this worse now? Um, well, it, it, for the first couple of days, it was worse. In the end, uh, you're correct, the Yom Kippur War in the end was worse, although Israel did come out of that victorious, praise the Lord. And so, and the reason Israel came out victorious is because for all the faults of Richard Nixon, uh, he did one great thing, and I don't know what else he did that was so great is he, at the end, sent unlimited arms to Israel, which we were running out of supplies, and yep. he had LL planes loaded and uh, and they flew back and forth and saved Israel. So so we we actually in Israel we love Richard Nixon because he helped to save Israel. God used him to help save Israel in the 1973 war because as a young person his mother told him, Dickie, some God loves the Jewish people and someday God's going to use you to help them." Wow. He remember those words and he and he fulfilled the prophecy of his Christian mother. 
very, very interesting. Now, how long have you been in Jerusalem? Well, it's been, I came in uh, March of 1980, so I've been here now for 43 years. It's wow. been a wonderful time. Of course, I'm I'm 100% Christian. I'm, I have no Jewish blood. My in my heart, I'm very Jewish. But now, with God's with God's help, I, I was able to raise five beautiful children in Israel. We have 15 grandchildren born wow. in the Holy Land. So it's been it's been a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm, I'm a permanent resident here in Israel, which is very hard to do. Well, it's, indeed, it's, it's I want to talk to you that. about that after this break, Dave. Hang in there, Thank uh, you. friends. Forty some years in Jerusalem. A Christian, that itself is a a novelty. We'll talk about that when we get back. Nations are raging. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Despite the fact that the nations are raging against Israel, you wouldn't know it so much at this moment because they're responding in some respects favorably, emotionally favorably, because of the uh, seriousness of the attacks. But underlying, in the spirit of the nations, they are raging against Israel, have been raging. The United Nations, the collective nature of all those nations, does nothing but come against Israel incessantly. So the kings of the earth, as the psalmist said in Psalm 2, the kings and the rulers of the earth have set themselves, confederating against the Lord and his anointed. Yet, amid all of that, the Lord said, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Now, friends, I don't know about you, uh, but sitting over here on American shores, having a love for Israel, it would seem to me that the Jewish rabbis would have read Psalm 2 and would have been so deeply shaken in their spirit that they would have had to come to grips with the fact that God was going to set his king on his holy hill of Zion. Now, who would that be? Who would that be? A king to be set on the holy hill of Zion, the anointed one of Israel. And it says, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. Well, who is that son? You see, there is so much in the Torah and in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, that uh, drive an honest heart uh, deep into an expectation of a divine messiah. Not just a man like Moses, but a divine Messiah. So, I want to make available to you, before we get back with our special guest, uh, David Decker there in Jerusalem, my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle. Some of the things that I'm just sharing with you are directly out of that book, one chapter entitled, Why Do the Nations Rage? In fact, God himself says, prepare war. Proclaim this among the Gentiles, prepare war. War. Well, my friends, why would that be? 
If you'd like to find out more about that, you might want to get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain. A $20 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Back to our friend David Decker, 40-some years in Jerusalem as a Christian believer, a uh, permanent resident. Now, how do you accomplish that, David, when there is a rapidly growing anti-missionary effort among the Orthodox Jews in Israel today? It's Yeah, it, it was a miracle. Um, it was a miracle, Chuck. I, uh, my family... My my wife and I came to Israel in 1980, and I, did, and I miraculously got a job for the Israel Weather Service, which is a government position. I got I, I got, was able to get a high security clearance. Wow! And I worked in Israel for I worked in Israel for ten years with a uh, year to year visa, which was given to me, which was already incredible mm-hmm. because I was fulfilling a, a needed position there. I had a, a research job that, that was important, and um, and it was wonderful. And then when the uh, when the war broke out between uh, the first Gulf War broke out and the Scud missiles started raining down from uh, from Saddam Hussein mm-hmm. in 1990-1991, um, we stayed in Israel. And at that time, uh, we had uh, four young children. We stayed in Israel. We most people left Israel. Most um, foreigners left the country. We stayed, and at, when it was over, it was a special window of opportunity and grace where some Christians who stayed in Israel and, and stuck with the Jewish people and didn't flee were, were granted by the by the by the um, gratefulness of the Israeli government were granted permanent residency. We were one of them, and so now we're permanent residents. We're here until the Messiah comes, and that some of my children have even become Israeli citizens. So it's really uh, it's a miracle. It's very hard to get in those days. It was hard to get, but there was a window of opportunity. Now it's almost impossible for Christians to be right. able to live here. Um, permanently. It's exactly. Uh, do you own property there? No, we don't own property. Well, some of my children do, but I do rent. I rent a small apartment in in Jerusalem. I live here in the Holy City, and the city of the Great King. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 exciting. Every well, the only reason I asked that question is because I understand that the law in Israel prohibits uh, non-Jews from owning property. In Israel, that yeah, normally that's true, Chuck. But my son, uh, my well, my oldest son is an expert lawyer, Michael Decker, um, and he he can find ways for uh, for Christians to own property in Israel. The key is you have to uh, invest. You have to invest money in Israel uh, yeah. and, and start a business here. Oh, and then you can you can then you can own property. Aha! Uh-huh. Well. Uh... If you have enough money to buy property in Israel, that itself is a massive investment these days. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Property, Tel Aviv, for example, is one of the most expensive cities in the world. Right. And property in Jerusalem is sky high. It's, it goes up and up and up all the time. Yeah. Well, there's very little land, and uh, everything is yes. getting scrunched together more and more, and things are going up. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the things that are taking place there right now. Uh, A report came through yesterday that a member of the Palestine Scholars Association uh, in the diaspora has 
come out with a video boasting about a new fatwa issued by his organization that allows the murders of Israelis wherever they may be. However, to me, that does not seem like anything new because that's exactly what Muhammad said in the Quran and the Hadith. You're right. You're right. It's not. And, of course, you realize Hamas declared that today, Friday the 13th, would be an international day of rage until they said they would kill Jewish people all over the world. So uh, I believe God's hand of protection is on the Jewish people today all over the world. They do have dire threats against them. So Muslims really are on a global jihad uh, via an eternal fatwa, uh, essentially coming from Muhammad. Uh, he was so disappointed that the Jews would not accept uh, Islam as he proposed it that he turned on them. Uh, and in the second part of his Quran, uh, completely changed his attitude, and all of the violence proposed against the Jews comes from that second iteration of the latter part of the, the Quran, which is almost never quoted uh, by those particularly what you might call very liberal and progressive anti-Jewish people around the world. So in order for people yes. to understand the dynamics of what is taking place, when George W. Bush, after the 9-11 attacks, uh, there uh, said that Islam, that, that Muslims, Jews, and Christians worship the same God, he set the tone for something dramatically contrary to the scriptures, didn't he? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And um, it's true that, uh, that certainly radical Muslims are united in their hatred of Israel. Really, it's only lukewarm Muslims that are uh, that Israel is able to deal with. And uh, mm-hmm. fortunately, there are a lot of lukewarm Muslims. But well, yeah, there are a lot of lukewarm Christians, Muslims. too. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. And, uh, and also, we have to remember that even Martin Luther, the great Christian reformist, even he turned against Israel also. In the well, he did, yeah. So, it's it's so amazing. Yeah, anti-Semitism, of course, is, is, is rife within Islam, but anti-Semitism is even within Christianity, too. The, the Yellow Star of David was uh, something that was, uh, that was started by Christians in the, in the, early, in the, in the Middle Ages, and Hitler just revived it for his evil Holocaust campaign. All right, I want to bring up something uh, that some people may not know about, uh, and that is that immediately before, or about a week before the attack by Hamas on Israel, the news in Israel was a fight among the Jewish people uh, because Orthodox Jews were spitting on Christians. And it was all over the news. Uh, It caused Netanyahu to come out and uh, disavow what they were doing. And yet others came out Orthodox Jews came out and said, this is what we do. This is our tradition, to spit on Christians. So you wouldn't call that anti-Semitism, but it is persecution of Christians. So it's almost as if, you know, the kettle calling the pot black. Would you respond to that? Yeah, that was a horrible incident. Uh, These dear Christian um, dear Christians that were going on the Via Dolorosa, they were sped upon by 
some extreme ultra-Orthodox Jews, and it was a horrible thing. But I am happy to say that the chief rabbi of Israel and the rabbi of the Western Wall and even other ultra-Orthodox rabbis from Asherim did come out against it and finally said that that is not that is not true Judaism to behave like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's disrespectful, and we're not supposed to disrespect any Christian, any religion, even Christians. So there has been almost universal condemnation in Israel against that, uh, and uh, the, the ones who perpetrated that are going to jail. And yet, the anti-missionary effort to prevent Christians from uh, promoting the Christian faith in Israel is absolutely verboten, forbidden, uh, by the yes. Orthodox Jews. How do you figure? How do you justify or figure all of this? It's one thing to say, "Well, we don't, we don't approve of spitting on you. We just approve of rejecting you altogether." Well, that, that's true. There, there is a, a definitely the, the only law in Israel on the books so far against um, against witnessing against Christians here witnessing. Mm-hmm. There is a law against proselytizing that you're not allowed to. To, to share uh, your faith with anyone under the age of 18 without written permission from their parents or guardians. All right, so, well, that's very I much do. like what's happening in this country. In other words, exactly. uh, for instance, it was Barack Obama who said, yeah, we have freedom of religion, but we're not going to call it freedom of religion anywhere. We're going to call it freedom of worship. So you have the right to worship inside your church. You just don't have the right to say anything about it outside your church. That's basically the same thing as you're describing there in Israel. That's true. What a distinction. You're right. However, it, 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 although certainly Israel is not a, a, a the freedoms here for Christians are not as wonderful as they still are in America. Although, although I know the windows closing there. Mm-hmm. If we compare modern Israel, which is the only democratic country in the Middle East, remember we're surrounded by 22 giant Arab nations from yep. Morocco. Morocco, you know, over to over to Iraq, Israel by far is a, is the most tolerant of Christianity of in the whole in the whole Arab world. Yeah, uh, true, true. And isn't it fascinating that uh, Syria and Egypt were once epicenters of the Christian faith, including Iraq? Those were all epicenters of the early Christian faith. Whatever happened, unbelievable. You're, it's it's true. It's it's unbelievable. My my only my only response is you're 100 percent correct, and, and there is prophetic hope. However, in Isaiah 19, mm-hmm. that one day God is going to allow, cause a highway of peace to be built between Cairo and Damascus, going way through Israel, and and Israel and, and those nations will live at peace with Israel. And we just pray for that day to come. It's certainly not here now. Well, you know, I have a, a thought concerning that, and. Uh... I don't know that I've ever asked anybody to respond to that thought, but here it is. And you can cogitate over it over the next break. And that is that God used Egypt to save the children of Abraham, the children of Israel, during a famine. And he used Israel, excuse me, Egypt to save uh, the children of, uh, dur- during Joseph's life. So first of all, during Abraham's life, then during uh, Jacob and his son's lives, uh, used Egypt to save them from the famine. Then Egypt was also used to save Yeshua, Jesus, from the wild death uh, sentence of uh, King Herod in his day. So 
Egypt, even though a pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph, initially Egypt was favorable and opened its arms of hospitality to Israel. Secondly, Assyria. Abraham is Assyrian. His son, Isaac, went to Haran in Assyria to get himself a wife. It seems to me that those things actually are what allow God to ultimately give favor to Assyria and to Egypt, as opposed to other nations. Give me your take on that right after this break. Friends, we're talking with David Decker in Jerusalem. I hope you'll stay tuned. We have barely scratched the surface here today. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Some have called the attack by Hamas on Israel as Israel's 9-11. Our guest today says, no, I think it's even worse than that. It's Israel's Pearl Harbor, a day of infamy. I think most of us would agree with that. And uh, we grieve over what's happening there. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for direction for the Jewish people. Uh, for their safety, and so on. Now, David, I threw a a knuckleball to you, or maybe a curveball, concerning why uh, God would show favor to Assyria and Egypt as opposed to other nations. Why would he do that? Well, I think you have have a keen insight there on the Scripture, brother, and I think you're correct that that that's the that is the origin of God's favor toward those ultimately toward these two, two countries, and given any possibility, God will eventually bless them yeah. and uh, and bring them into peace with Israel, which will be an incredible thing. Well, He certainly didn't show that same favor to Amalek or the Amalekites, and He certainly didn't show that favor to the Edomites. Witness the Book of yes. Obadiah. So uh, there has to be a reason, and uh, it seems to me that's the most. Uh, understandable reason well you and i don't know the mind of god but i think we can discern uh, to a certain extent why he does certain things if we really uh, follow him with a whole heart so i have in front of me uh, a number of different articles a uh, former idf spokesman said how did this massacre happen to mighty israel how do you respond there's all kinds of talk um, all over Israel and the world. How did that happen? I agree with that former IDF spokesman. I read that article also. It was hubris, overweening pride, 
arrogance, complacency, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Israel was caught um, <laughs> with their pants down, and uh, it, it's a security fiasco of uh, colossal proportions. And sadly, because I did like the, I do like the Prime Minister um, Bibi Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. It, this will finish his career. His, his, his political career is ending in ignominy, and uh, it's because he has to be held responsible for this. Um, Israel was blinded of what was going on in front of them. Hamas was very clever mm-hmm. for the last two years. Chuck, they've been pretending this. They've been saying to Israel for the last couple of years. Look, look we even though we still hate you. Uh, we've decided not to do war anymore for for now, and we're gonna. We want to build up the economy and help the and help the regular people in Gaza. Mm-hmm. That was completely false, of course. And Israel actually started to believe it. Meanwhile, uh, Mohammed Deif, uh, a, a was masterminding mm-hmm. uh, evil genius, was masterminding this plot for the last two years, Chuck. For the last two years, in, in hiding away in Jordan, he was planning even the day that it would be October seventh, twenty twenty three. On a Jewish holy day, a Jewish holy day, Simchat Torah, a Shabbat at 6:30 in the morning. This was on his schedule for two years. So Israel was completely blind to this and was lulled into into apathy. And what even to the point you won't believe this, but um, all the troops. Let's say we had a hundred thousand uh, forces of IDF all mm-hmm. surrounding Gaza to protect Israel from any incursions from Gaza. Right. That was reduced by 80 percent, and they were sent to the West Bank. To protect the Jewish settlements, which were which were under threat, because that was also part of the plan. They were working yeah. with the with the with, the, with terrorists in the territories. Hamas was working with them to distract Israel, and then it all happened. And it that all, was on a day when it broke out. And that was in a day at the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles, was everybody was sitting around sipping mint juleps in their sukkahs. Absolutely, and and it was. And, and the whole country was in shock. The, in the first, in the first three hours of that war, we now know, Chuck, that three thousand terrorists broke out of Gaza. Three thousand, and um, Israel, and they, they uh, and, and it took it took six hours for the IDF to even respond to what was going on in twenty-two settlements, Jewish settlements in Kibbutzim, all around Gaza, and they couldn't believe it. They figured they might get two miles into Israel. Some of them got 20 miles into Israel in those first six hours. Wow. And uh, Israel eventually did, with God's help, eliminate 1,500 of those wicked terrorists. They were killed by Israel after after brutal battles. But 1,500 of them went back into Gaza. And some of them brought the hostages with them. Mm-hmm. And we know, now know there are probably around 150 hostages right. in Gaza being held by these evil terrorists. And indeed they are. When you look at the photographs of what they did uh, to their victims, uh, it is nothing short of, uh, as many have said, barbaric. Uh, There is no humanity uh, in what they did. Uh, It's not just defending. It's not just seeking freedom. It was barbaric. And I think that's what stirred up uh, so many in the world, even among uh, the EU, uh, where they're not all that favorable toward Israel normally. So Ben Carson, uh, the the meek and mild Ben Carson, uh, came out and said the U.S. should be worried after the Moss attack. He says, we are sitting ducks for exactly what happened to Israel. 
How do you respond? He's 100% correct, and Hamas itself has declared in a video two days ago, the leaders of Hamas went on, spread all over the world and said, and said laughingly to the whole world, what we've done, what we did on October 7th is just a preview of what we plan to do all over the world. Eventually, we are going to slaughter all the Christians and all the Jews on earth, everyone who does not convert to Islam. That is the, that is the goal of Hamas, worldwide radical Islam. And so it will eventually, they will come to America if not Hamas, then some other other Islamic, Islam, ultra orthodox, ultra radical Islamic group will rise and will terrorize America. It's bound to happen. Well, the the reality is that Jerusalem is the holy grail of jihad. Uh, it's the symbol of Islam's triumph over the whole world to establish an Islamic throne upon the Temple Mount, and uh, they've already declared that. There are others, by the way, Gentiles, that have declared that as well, other than uh, Islam. But the, the reality is that this is nothing new. This is something that uh, Islam, uh, that's in, endemic to the very spirit and heart of Islam. And I think people are in the West are not willing to to receive that. They're not willing to understand that, how deep this really goes. But they are true believers. These folk who are carrying out jihad are the true believers. They believe uh, that offering their lives to kill Jews and Christians everywhere is the highest commitment to Allah, and that that earns them, without question, some sort of eternal salvation with Allah and 70 virgins. Uh, I don't know how many virgins Allah has uh, uh, set aside for all these people, but that's what they believe. And, you know, the Scripture does tell us that we should give our lives as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. But it's not talking about this kind of pursuit of martyrdom. It's talking about being willing to uh, dedicate yourself exclusively to the Lord, to love him, to trust him no matter what. But this is something totally different. This is actually earning your favor with God by killing people. Now, how do you, how do the people in Israel uh, react to this when they know that they are under the gun, so to speak, continually? I think Israel understands it's facing uh, an evil, even satanic force in the form of radical Islam. And let's face it, these Hamas terrorists, um, they are not even humans anymore when they become filled with this evil spirit of Islam. It is a spirit, as you say, an endemic spirit in Islam. They become possessed and taken over by that spirit. They turn from human beings into, into, into beasts, into savages. And that's, that's what, that's what motivates these terrorists is a demonic lust. For uh, the murder of Jewish people, it comes right from the right from the pit of hell. Yeah, it's the sixth mandate uh, on the head and heart of every true Muslim follower of Muhammad, under the authority of both the Quran and the Hadith. Uh, it's unescapable. The global call to jihad or holy war, and uh, you yes. see what that looks like in living color. So. We can give uh, great thanks to Charles Martel 
for uh, defeating in the most historic battle there in 70-something, 700-something A.D., when Islam was just on the verge of taking over all of Europe. And he stopped the Islamic invasion of 80,000 soldiers with only 30,000 soldiers. They had to fight to the death, but they did. But now Europe is purposely assimilating all of these very same people, and they're tormenting their cities and creating such a situation of chaos in their cities, they don't know what to do with it. You're, you're, you're exactly correct, especially France and uh, Germany, which took in massive a mass amount Sweden. Of, uh, of Muslim immigrants. Also, you're right, and they're 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 facing they're facing uh, mass demonstrations now in support of Hamas in their countries that they're trying to suppress. Listen, I, I also want to tell you that. Uh, we have reports, many reports that I know of missionaries that are in the Arab in the um, in the Arab world, uh-huh. and the the wonderful, the good secret is this: that Muslims, by the hundreds of thousands, are turning to Christ now all over the Middle East. That's the good news. Even in Iran, there's a powerful underground Christian church, lovers of Jesus, of over two million, and, they, mm-hmm. and uh, we pray that we pray that they will rise up. And, uh, and uh, Iran will, will, uh, will have a re- revolution that will remove the wicked leadership. But all over the Arab world, many Muslims are getting sick and tired of Islam and turning to Christ. It's a, it's a wonderful phenomenon. It's not reported at all in the news, but it's actually, a, it's actually an underground revival that's stirring everywhere. That is fascinating. So what do you attribute that other than just uh, the move of the Holy Spirit? Anything? Um. I just I think that uh, they're, they, they, they 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 listen they're open, they're they, they're exposed to the whole world they see they have the internet they have television they 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 see what's going on in the in the in the free world and they realize they're not part of the civilized free world and they want to be that start, makes them start asking questions uh, and then and then the Holy Spirit takes over all right we have more questions to ask of our friend David Decker here. When we come up uh, after this break, friends, I hope you'll stay tuned. This is you, Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Has the U.S. government betrayed Israel? Have Americans betrayed Israel? That's a question that was asked just in the last couple of days concerning what is going on, what were the dynamics that have taken place that actually made it possible for Hamas to attack Israel uh, with such ferocity and so quickly. 
Before we get to answering that question with our special guest, David Decker from Jerusalem, uh, again, I want to make available to you my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle, where it said that he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. And uh, in just the next few minutes, I'm going to talk with David about the End Time Temple. I'm going to talk to him about how perhaps this situation that has occurred now is setting the stage for something even much bigger in biblical prophecy. So the book, King of the Mountain, it is a $20 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. So uh, the question first, David, is has the U.S. government betrayed Israel and Americans? An art, a podcaster there in Israel came out and penned a scathing essay uh, laying much of the blame for the attack at the feet of the U.S. government in America's betrayal of Israel. He condemned both U.S. foreign policy and criticized what he views as Israel's foolhardy reliance upon America as an ally. Now, this goes back, this goes back to Barack Obama and uh, how he was playing footsie with Iran and uh, gave them $150 billion of American taxpayer money to seduce them into uh, declaring that they would wait 10 years to develop a, uh, a bomb. So all he wanted to do was build his uh, curriculum vitae, his bona fides, uh, and uh, lift himself up for history as doing something with Iran. But Joe Biden is doing exactly the same thing. Some say he's giving them six thousand six million dollars, a billion dollars. Others say no, it's fifty billion dollars. Regardless of which it is, he's facilitating. It seems uh, everything that Iran wants to do in order to uh, carry on its uh, global jihad movement. How do you respond to this idea that uh, America has betrayed Israel? Well, the Muslim nations that hate Israel, um, they smell weakness in the Biden administration. They saw what happened in, in America's cowardly withdrawal from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. which horrified, which horrified many of us. They saw, they see what's going on in the in the in the, in the ridiculous peace talks between America and Iran, and as you say, the, the support in the many billions of dollars of that of that evil regime. And they realize that that, um, that that America is weak, and when they see America is weak and doesn't have the truly have the back of Israel, they've taken advantage of that, and it certainly did help precipitate this current war. You're absolutely right. So at the very at the very best, they smell blood in the water. Exactly. Yeah. Chuck, I do want to share with you a story of Christian heroism that you're never going to hear in the media. Go for it. I might. In the first six hours of the war, there were many Jewish heroes that we now realize laid down their lives to save people because the IDF was nowhere to be found, and they were real Jewish heroes. But there have been Christian heroes too that are unsung heroes. Let me let me give you let me give you an example. A um, during the during those first six first hours of the war, a precious Jewish grandmother, 85 years old, wheelbow wheelchair bound, her name Yafa Adar. Holocaust survivor. Imagine she went through the Holocaust. 
she was taken hostage by Hamas in one of those settlements surrounding Gaza, uh-huh. Jewish settlements. Before the abduction, listen to this, her Christian Filipino caretaker was given an option by wicked Hamas to stay behind. She refused to stay behind and to leave her patient and friend. Um, now they're both being held captive together somewhere inside Gaza by these cruel Karens. It would take mm-hmm. an absolute mm-hmm. miracle for them to survive this ordeal. And the story reminds us, Chuck, of Ruth's attachment to Naomi yeah. in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Um, I will not leave your side. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Mm-hmm. And uh, this story needs to get out. That's wonderful. Any Anything else like that that you could bring to our attention? Yes. Another case of Christian heroism that's completely untold, unreported, took place in Gaza. Keep in mind that although it's a 2.2 million population of Muslims, mostly Sunni Muslims, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that Hamas rules over in Gaza, one of the most densely, one of the one of the most densely populated places on earth, there are there is a minuscule Christian population, just 1,100 Christians. They are, they are. That's called a remnant. It's a remnant. And, and, <laughs> and, and I must tell you, I must. It's a remnant. I must tell you. In my in my book, almost all of them are true believers. I'll tell you why. Because almost all of them are ready to suffer and die for their Christian faith. And if you're ready to suffer and die because of your love for Jesus, you're you're a true Christian, and you're mm. a Christian hero in my book. Yeah. And so, uh, an evangelical. It's very rare for them to be evangelical, but an evangelical Christian, 21 years old. I know this because of a missionary friend of mine at work in Gaza told me that he knows for a fact that on Sunday, at the beginning of the war, just days ago, a 21-year-old evangelical Christian youth living in Gaza, uh, he tried to help a captured Israeli soldier that was being held in Gaza and being horribly mistreated inside Gaza City where he lives. Mm -hmm. And for daring to show mercy to this man, um, the brains of this dear Christian brother were blown to smithereens by a terrorist. So he's an amazing hero. He's a true Christian martyr. Mm. And, of course, he's now in heaven with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But uh, that story is not being told. And so we need to know there are even some there are some Christian heroes also here. You know, there's a, there's a sense, David, in which uh, here in America, there's this exceptionalist thinking that somehow we're insulated for any of these kinds of trials and tribulations. Uh, but the reality is we're not. And uh, what you didn't know is that I am uh, currently finishing up Chapter 6 in my new book called When Persecution Comes. And uh, wow. it is showing the dramatic rise in persecution, not just around the world, but right here in the United States. It is something that uh, nobody wants to talk about unless it be on further shores out there somewhere. But the reality is, it's coming, and what concerns me, David, is that people are not, particularly in the Western world, professing Christians are not prepared to stand in the evil day. What do you, what do you, what say you? Yes, you're, you're, you're so right. I believe that uh, also that America, many Christians in America have been lulled into passivity. We've had it good for, 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 for decades, but, um, that time is going to come, the Bible says so, and God will actually use that uh, 
like the Bible says, you know, first he sends fishers, then he sends hunters. Yeah. This happened in Nazi Germany um, that uh, to drive the Jewish, eventually to drive the Jewish people back to their homeland. As evil as the Holocaust was, God used it to create Israel in mm. 1948 yeah. because there was a tiny window of sympathy in the world that doesn't exist anymore that allowed the world by just one vote to uh, in the UN, which is the only good thing the UN ever did, was to pass a resolution <laughs> allowing for the creation of Israel. Well, really. That was they should have just packed up and, and, and closed the UN at that point because that's the only good thing they ever did, and that's the only reason they even existed was to do that. Oh, create Israel. <laughs> Very it, interesting. It, instead, it became instead it became the in Israel we call it the UN stands for the United Nothing. And that's oh, what it is. There's just a big nothing. All right. But, well, now uh, you've spent forty some years over there in Yerushalayim, and uh, tell us briefly what you're doing there. Okay, I am a Christian missionary in Israel. That I um, that I have the honor. There's there are anti-Christian missionary organizations in Israel called uh, run by radical radical Orthodox Jews, or also Orthodox Jews. One of them is called Yad Lachim, hand to the hand to our brothers. And and not many years ago, I had the honor of being uh, of being ranked as their number one as the number one most dangerous missionary in Israel. So that was an honor for me. <laughs> Okay, really da- that was D-Day really for you, right? <laughs> David Decker, yeah, D-Day was, for you. Great. I'm not really that dangerous, Doug. You know me. I'm not that dangerous. Right. And I wish I was I wish I was as dangerous as they said, because I have had the privilege of leading many scores of precious Jewish people to the Lord and baptizing them, uh-huh. but I wish it was much more. And yeah. uh, But that still makes me one of the most dangerous missionaries. So it's uh, but but I I continue even I'll be seventy in, um, in in the next year, but I continue to actively actively share the gospel here in Israel and evangelize, and um, and I, and it's it's a wonderful privilege to live in the in Jerusalem, the city of the Great King. I live here in Jerusalem, the city of the Great King, and of course I communicate what's really happening in Israel to uh, uh, it, when I have opportunities like this on Christian radio and other Christian venues and churches and uh-huh. Christians all over the world. And um, I'm uh, I'm just thrilled to continue to live in Israel and to be able to serve the Lord here. I I I, I do believe that uh, that the greatest days. I know it sounds incredible. It sounds impossible now because it's such so dark days for Israel at the moment. But I believe that I believe that great days are ahead for the Jewish people because we know. Before the return of Jesus Christ, at the end of the tribulation, the second coming of the Lord, that many Jewish people are going to be are going to turn to Christ, and in fact, they're going to cry out, "Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord." Mm-hmm. And in a sense, Chuck, it's the invitation of those, hopefully, millions of Jewish people at the end of the tribulation that helps precipitate the second coming of Jesus Christ. There you As go. Jesus said when He wept over Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives. You will not see me again. He was speaking to the Jewish people of Jerusalem. Right. You, the Jews of Jerusalem, will not see me again until you cry out, Baruch HaBashem Adonai. And so Jesus is waiting for two things, the okay of the green light from Father God and the invitation of his own people. And he will come back and sit on the throne. He will sit on Zion's hill, the king, as you, as you quoted from, the, from, the, from Psalm 2. And he will, for a thousand years, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, will rule over the world from the from the third temple in yep. Jerusalem. Well, but that brings nations. us to the final question. Does this yes. situation now set the stage, perhaps, for a dramatic cry for peace now with Israel? Uh, Israel seeing that they're vulnerable as never before. Somebody comes along and said, look, uh, 
you know, we're we can bring peace uh, with you all. And uh, here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you build a temple. And if they do okay. that, somebody comes along and says that Maimonides declared that will have to be the Messiah. Well, my take on it might be different than the, than the majority Christian view, so, so bear with me. I, right. I, and, uh, and remember, I could be wrong, but I do believe that the Jewish people are going to reject the, the Antichrist. I'll tell you the reason why. The Jewish people can smell an anti-Semite a mile away, and Obama, although he wasn't the Antichrist, hated, really hated Israel. And all over the world... But what about, what about the guy that brings about the temple? They're not going to hate him. Well, according to according to Thessalonians, it's called the Temple of God, and I believe the Jewish people themselves will build it, not the Antichrist. Interesting. I don't believe it's the Antichrist Temple. It's called the Temple of God, not the Temple of the Antichrist. Very and when interesting. Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, he cleanses the Temple, which has been defiled by the Antichrist. Right. You can't defile something, Chuck, unless it's a holy thing to begin with. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, even Jesus had to cleanse Herod's Temple, and Herod was a wicked guy. So, in any that's event... Right. And even yeah. Jesus, and again, and again, even Jesus, Herod the Great, as we as we mentioned, was a wicked person, and rebuilt the Second Temple through the glorious way it was at the time of Christ. And even Jesus called it Herod's Temple. He didn't say Herod's Temple. He said, "My Father's house. This is my Father's exactly. house. It should be a prayer. Should be a house of prayer for all people." All right. Well, boy, have we sandwiched a lot into these fifty-five minutes, <laughs> yeah. David? Uh, you know, I I'm blessed. I'm thrilled that God, about 20 years ago, uh, brought us together in friendship and fellowship uh, right here on these shores, and it's been that way ever since. I'm giving you a holy hug over the airwaves here, there to Jerusalem, and thank you so much, and I, this program will be up on our website uh, uh, later this evening, and it will be there for about a year, so if there's anybody there that uh, you want to listen to it and uh, connect in, it will be there. And uh, Lord bless you, David, and uh, give you peace and shalom, as you say. Shalom to you. All right, friends, there we are. Viewpoint determines destiny. Israel's viewpoint, so does ours, determines destiny. God bless, be a blessing, and pray for the uh, peace of Jerusalem. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.